You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. You know, he's good even when life doesn't seem good to us. He is still good. He's good even when we are facing, you know, some challenges in life. He's still good. And he still shows up. He's still our very present help in times of need. Even when sometimes during that time we don't recognize it, we feel that there's a sense of a distance between us and God. It's never like that at all. In fact, it's a God who's drawn nearer to say, oh, broken heart, I want to be close. Why? Because it's also called the Comforter. It's not just a name of a separate entity called the Holy Spirit. He's a part of the Godhead. So God himself has taken this name on himself because when he sees us, he draws nearer. He's so good, he's so big, he's so mighty. He has so many things to think about. And yet when the righteous pray, he's attentive. He says, oh, hang on, there's a righteous person speaking. Uh, let, me, let me just listen to what they're saying. What a mighty God. What a mighty, mighty God. There's no one else that's able to do that. You know, you, you can think of the most important person. You'll say, perhaps that's the president of the USA. Do you know that the president of the USA, irrespective of how righteous you become, cannot be that attentive to you. You'll say, who's this African boy, you know, in the middle of some other country I don't even know. Ah, I'm not going to pay attention. But somebody more important than him actually pays attention when we pray. So our prayers never hit hard ground. They always hit a listening God. And God always responds. It might not be how we thought it would look. It might not be when we thought it would happen. But the Lord always responds. That's a sure thing about the Lord, is that even when you are unfaithful, he won't deny himself and be unfaithful. He will remain faithful to the very end. Even when you make some mistakes in your life, he's not going to say, you know what, too many mistakes, I need to take a break from you. He's going to come after you even harder. That's the God we serve. What a mighty, mighty special God. And that's the kind of God that we can look at and say, indeed, I'm going to make my entire life about his kingdom. Simply because he's decided to say, your needs, I'm going to make myself about that. I'm going to make sure that I sort you out, but focus on the right thing. And sometimes that's where the challenge is. We focus on the wrong thing. We focus on us. We think it's about us and it's not about us. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ Jesus living through me. It's not just a statement we say. It's not just a thing that we heard, but it's the reality of the Christian life. The Christian life is not the same life upgraded. It is a different life, a new life, a life you've never experienced before. Completely, completely new. And sometimes we struggle to walk it out because we think it's an upgrade life. It's not an upgrade life. It's a new, brand new life. You know, so the day you get born again, you have a new car smell. You know, because you're a brand new vehicle. The old one has gone in, it's gone. And you come out as a new one. Completely different one. So we can't live the same as we did before. But we're going to get into the word. But before we do... Our pastors are just ministering elsewhere today. And I think one of the biggest gifts we can ever give them. So if we're to plot in their absence and say, what could we plot uh, about them, uh, for them about something like that in English? You know, um, the one thing that will bring them the greatest satisfaction is our obedience to what is taught. If we stop just being hearers alone, deceiving ourselves, and decide that we're going to put the word into practice, and they start to hear testimonies of how that word is changing your life, how you are prospering as a result. That's the greatest gift you can give them. You know, even if we're to organize and we say, let's give them 100K, it's just money. You know, and because they love, you know, you guys so much, you'll find that they even invested back here. Uh, instead of going and spending, they, you know, say, actually, we want to make sure the kingdom goes far. So why don't we make that our ambition to say, as a little plot we made in their absence, we're going to be obedient. We're going to be so obedient. Amen? Amen. We're going to straight, get straight into the word without wasting much time. Um, Father, we just thank you for your presence. There's no teaching gift which can transform a life if you don't show up. There aren't words that are intelligent enough, oh God, that it would confound you know, the spirit of a man if you don't show up. Only you know how to transform men, men, Lord. Only you know how to touch our lives and take us where we need to be. So, Father, today we ask you and say, Holy Spirit, show up. Show up and touch us. Show up and change us. Show up and transform us. We refuse to live the same. 
we choose to say we're not going anywhere until we're touched because we are here for an experience with you we are here to move indeed from glory to glory we don't want to remain at the same level oh god but we want to go deeper into the person of god in the mighty name of jesus amen amen, amen. so we're going to continue talking about the same thing we've been talking about which is the will of god um, and we're going to just add more tools that can help us work out the will of God um, in this space. So we're going to be in Second Kings, so reading from chapter 1. That's, yeah, Second Kings reading from chapter 2, from verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went on to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Um... Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the, Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? He answered and said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that way so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what do you want? What may I do for you before I am taken from you? Do you know that had he actually stayed at any of the other places, firstly, he would not have gotten this question. He would not have received a blank check. This is a blank check, right? Ask what you want and I'm going to do it. And it's the same that happened to, 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 uh, to Solomon. Blank check moment. But sometimes the blank check moments never come into our lives because we're in the wrong place. We've stayed in Gilgal while it's happening in the Jordan. We've stayed at the Jericho. We've stayed, you know, places we should not be. So these are places that we ought to experience, but part of our continuing journey. Amen. But it shouldn't be destinations. Because if they are destinations, blank check moments will never arrive. But also, look at how he handles this blank check moment. Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And I imagine myself and say, Lord, if you're to give me a blank check right now, what am I going to say? You know? And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I can hear Blue Valley calling me, you know. I can hear it, Lord. I hear it, Lord. That's the blank check, you know. I have seen the Cayenne, you know. It speaks my name every time I pass next to it. That's the blank check moment. But that's an indication of how misaligned I am with the will of God, how misaligned I am with the mission of God. I have made life about those things that the Lord says will be added unto me. And you know when you are focused on the kingdom, it actually doesn't matter whether you stay in a ten room or a two room. Because the Lord is adding what you need. Other people actually need for the sake of the gospel to drive a Cayenne. Other people need for the sake of the gospel to stay in a 20 bedroom house. Oh, there, okay. Okay. Yeah. For the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of having all these rooms, you know, you just have room after room. Huh? No, it's not about that. It's about something bigger than that. So we must be careful with what we want and why we want it. Because when the Lord says, seek first the kingdom, what he's actually saying is seek only the kingdom. Don't seek the kingdom for the sake of getting these things. And sometimes that's what we do, right? If I'm in God and I pray for promotion, it will happen. If I'm in God and I pray for a spouse, it will happen. And sometimes we also use the Lord as insurance policy, right? Just in case I die, I don't want to be in a warm place. But the Lord is way more than that. 
he is so wonderful that we limit him when we reduce him to these small things. Okay? Now, when he says a double portion of your spirit, this wasn't a prideful moment from Elijah saying, you know what, I have seen you in your single portion. I want the Lord to double it on me. That's not what he meant at all. Now, if you study the rights of the firstborn, the firstborn had the right to the double portion. Then the rest of the children would share the remaining 50%. So what he was saying to Elisha is to say, I know you are going, but we have family business running. Treat me as your firstborn that I might remain running the business. That's what he was saying. He says, I've seen you operating. I've seen you doing the family business, and I want to continue it. Treat me as a firstborn. So he said in verse 10, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken away from you, it shall, be, it shall be so to you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened when they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. You know, sometimes when God is about to do a mighty thing, he will show up with some chariots of fire and take you up through a different direction. You might think the chariots are there to fetch you. Can't you? You're going up with a whirlwind. You know, it's just sometimes it just shows up uh, and shows off like that in your life, you know. And sometimes you'll think, this, I must get into the horses. You know, be sensitive to the spirit, you you know, you will move with the wrong thing. And he cried when he saw it. He said, my father, my father, chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes. He tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah, which had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen uh, from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when, he, and when he had also struck the water, it divided this way and this way. And Elisha crossed over it. Now, this was an absolute destiny moment, okay, for Elisha. We do not know whether Elisha knew or did not know that the Lord had already decided that Elijah would be replaced by Elisha, okay? So we don't know whether he knew or not. What we know for certain is that he faithfully followed Elijah and wanted to look like him and said, I want to continue the family business. And that's so key to working out the will of God. It's so key. We cannot have the will of God be a different track. It's N1 and my will is N3. And somehow I want the Lord to come to N3 because I'm already on the N3 and I'm not turning around. So Lord, turn around, come to the N3 because that's where the action is. But that's not how it should be. What has happened here to Elisha is that the N3 and the N1 has become one. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that the Lord didn't change and say, I will come to the N3. What Elijah did is he came to the N1. He was running a successful business, looking after animals, you know, farming and so forth. So he could have stayed there and said, the Lord, you will bless me here. I'm not moving. If you want me to be the replacement, you're going to do it here because there's money to be made. Okay. And sometimes when the Lord speaks to us, the first thing we do is tell him why it can happen. The Lord says, give this. Have you seen my debit orders, Lord? Isn't it? The Lord says, move from this job to that job. Ah, Lord, have, did you see the salary scale? Do you know what level I'm at now? Ah, you don't know my tithe, Lord. I'm, you know? So we need to be very careful to not have a separate will from the will of God. And the will of God is simply to make God known and to know God, rather the opposite way, to know God and to make God known. Everything else must fall, feel, fall into those buckets. Now, whether you work at a bank, you work at a, you know, at a restaurant, it actually doesn't matter. Those are just channels for you to express the will of God. It means that when you are at work, you need to be asking yourself, how am I knowing God here? Or how am I making God known? If neither of those things are not happening, you can safely be assured that you are not aligned to the will of God in what you are doing. It might not necessarily be the case that you must leave, but you need to adjust. You need to adjust the things that you are doing in that workplace. Because surely, if God wanted us to just work with Christians where we never share the gospel, do you know there are plenty of spaces at TBN? We could have all be working at TBN, and all we ever encounter is another Christian, and there's nothing more to it. But the Lord found it fitting that we wouldn't work at TBN. 
he found it fitting that we must work at Standard Bank. Why? Because Standard Bank needs Jesus. He found it fitting that we must work uh, you know, at uh, all these companies because those companies need Jesus. And you know, often the case is you are the Christian they will meet. But if you are aligned and you are on the N1 where the Lord is, then you know it's about knowing God and making God known. And that's what you always drive towards. Life is so simple when you make that. And you know when he talks about it, and maybe let's read it a bit. Let's read Matthew, our, our, this, this popular scripture. Let's look at 633. I have a direction that I'm going, but you guys are taking me your own places. Miss. Huh? How can you do this, guys? But this is a very famous scripture. It's very popular. We all know it by heart. But I just want to, let's just quickly look at it. Matthew 6. Um, maybe let's start at which verse? Which verse should we start at? Okay, let's start at 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Think about how hard we are working just so we can start shopping at Burberry. Life is not about those things, okay? Life is not about those things. Those things, it's just channels for the will of God. He says, look at the beds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you see that? What he's saying here is that when you are living to fill the stomach and to put clothes on, you are reducing your value below an animal. Because when you look at nature, that's not how they live. You do not see a bird obsessing with, oh, you know, I need more money just so I can drive a better car. I need no more money just so I can, you know, have this. And ha you don't see that. They're just following the will of God. And sometimes we're so moved by what is so simple. What we are moved by, we're going to walk on in heaven. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cupid, a one cubit to his stature? So why then do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They need a toil, no spin. Yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like this. Now, if God clothes the grass and the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles are people who don't know God. So it means we are functioning as people who do not know God when we make lives, our life about these things. That is our functional, we come and we worship, but in reality we are living as though we don't know God. Because we are chasing what Gentiles seek. What different thing are you going to chase? Is it always going to be the same thing? And then it says, but... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Like, it's like, just seek the kingdom, focus on the kingdom, and God will add what needs to be added. Don't fret thinking that your child has to go to all the Saint Mang Mang and Saint Mang Mang, and I don't know how I will do it, and therefore I must do this decision and that decision. I know I haven't prayed about it, but I'm just going to do it anyway. The Lord will take care of you. And think about it, when you do it in your own effort, chances are you're just living in your affordability lane. But when the Lord does it, you're living in another level completely. So we need to not make our will separate from the will of God. It shouldn't be that thing and that thing. These two things have to be one. But in order for us to rightfully do this, there are four things we're going to need to address. And those are the things that Elisha passed through. Okay? So we're going to quickly look at them. Because you guys spent all the time having me talk about all these other things. You know? But let me just read you one interesting thing uh, relating to what God had said about Elisha in uh, 1 Kings 19. What happened there is that um, Elijah is running away from Jezebel. Now, as he's running, he was afraid. And in verse 3, it says... 
Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left who? His servant there. Elijah was not traveling alone. Elisha was not his first servant. This was the next servant. But this servant went to Gilgal and said, I'm staying. Simply because Elijah said, okay, I need to go forward. You stay here. And that's how this guy probably missed his blessing. Sometimes we stay places we shouldn't stay. Sometimes we move from places we shouldn't move. And it is spiritual to discern which of those actions need to be done. And we see, of course, is it in verse, which verse? No, not verse 9, maybe 16 or 14, somewhere there. Okay, 16, it says, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel uh, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet where? In your place. So the Lord had already decided that this guy is going to get the double portion. He's going to continue the family business. But Elisha had to leave some stuff behind and decide to get on the N1 where God was and not expect that God will come to where he is. And sometimes that's what we do. We make decisions and then we invite God. And that's not how it should be. We should actually say, God, what are you doing in this season? And what should I be doing? And then make a decision based on that. It is wisdom to listen to the Lord. Now, when you look at the journey of Elisha, he went through four key places. The first place was Gilgal. Now, when you start to think about Gilgal and what Gilgal is about, Gilgal is the place where when the, when the, essentially when they crossed over the Jordan with, under Joshua, right? This chapter 4, chapter 5. Um, what happened there is that because the guys who were going to fight with Joshua had not been circumcised, they actually were not yet part of the covenant. So they had to be circumcised to join the covenant. And it says in that circumcision that the reproach of Egypt has been removed from you this day. In fact, this is rolling it away. Okay? He rolled away the reproach of Egypt, the reproach of the place of slavery. Now, Gilgal is so important in our lives because it's the place of freedom. Sometimes we make church about a Sunday activity, and we don't realize that it's so much more. To have the first rolling away actually happen in your life, it's to decide to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And in not in word alone, but also in deed. Because Jesus says, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things that I say? So you can't be entering an N1, and that's Lordship. It is not Lordship to be under that circumstance. Lordship is to be on the road that the Lord is on. It's to be in the boat that the Lord is in and not to row and expect the Lord to show up. Now, that's the first primary thing, because when you do not know Jesus, you cannot walk in the will of God. It is utterly impossible. Now, the Lord can use you, as he used many kings who were not believers, right, to either, either even to punish Israel or to rescue Israel. But you cannot walk in the will voluntarily. You are just part of the sovereign engineering of God. But you need to make a personal decision and say, I don't want to be disconnected from the Lord anymore. I want to follow Jesus with my life. And what that looks like, it's a recognition that without him you are dead. And what the Lord does through his Holy Spirit when you encounter him is that he gives you life. An abundant life. But that's the first rolling away that needs to happen from our life, is we must roll away from, you know, living just as we want to actually living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing is that while we are still unsaved, there are things that we do. Like, you know, you are unsaved, you are living as you should, and look, we don't judge you. It is not our business to judge a person who's outside. And you do as you want, you end up having a child out of, uh, you know, in that circumstance, out of wedlock. When you get saved, do you know that the child doesn't disappear? The child remains existing, meaning that you reap the consequences. They remain, whether you like it or not. There is no powerful prayer that will make a child disappear. And say, Lord, I made a mistake before I was saved, but Lord, you can do anything. You say, all things are new, you know, no more child. 
There's no such thing. Now, if you had issues with the law, and they have a case against you, and you get saved, they still have a case. You'll still get arrested. Because those consequences are still there. There's one guy in England, he got saved um, literally in the middle of his court, uh, sort of court uh, process, and the judge was lenient and gave him a reduced sentence. He went to jail, and when he was in jail, he started making so many disciples. He was preaching to guys left, right, and center. Now, when the, his term ended after two years, they wanted to take him out. He went and confessed and said, I've also stolen this. It didn't come up in the case, you know, so that he remains in jail. So he ended up spending about 15 years in jail. And he said, I'm the only evangelist who's been funded by the queen. Uh, so he remains there. But you see that that's a guy who's made it about the will of God. It's not about the circumstances that I'm in. It's about the will of God. The will of God is to know God and to make him known, irrespective of the circumstance that I find myself. There will never be favorable times that we can actually just work out the will of God. We just have to do it. That's the reality of it. So we need to move away from the shame of what we did before we were in Christ. We need to say, Lord, I believe in the power of your gospel and your cross so much that even know that the shame attached with this thing, I know that you have no shame. Your eyes as you look at me and you say, I'm holy. You say that I'm above reproach. Therefore, there is no reproach. So you need to roll away every shame. Jesus is the shame remover. Have no shame about what you've done. Don't think about it and limit yourself as to how you can serve God or not serve God. No one can limit you as long as you've repented and you've joined the family of God. It is your portion, it is your family to participate in the family business. Never be shamed by anyone. Never shame yourself. You are free in Jesus Christ. But sometimes, even when we are already in Christ, right, we make some bad decisions. We make some bad decisions, you know, we decide, well, it wasn't preached about, uh, so I will still do this, right? I will do deals a particular way, I will date a particular way, I will use my body a particular way, right? Now, all of those things also add shame. They also add guilt. They also then limit you how much you can actually express yourself in Christ. Now, you need to repent of that and turn around and say, I don't want to do that anymore, but I'm rolling away the shame. Why? Because the cross of Jesus doesn't just cover the sins that we've done. It covers the ones we are doing and the ones we'll never do. It covers everything. We are completely free in the Lord. It is for freedom that we've, set, we've been set free, but not for us to go back to bondage again, but to continue in freedom. You know, and that is why some people discover this and realize, wow, I have come to Christ, but because I was already staying with my girlfriend and I had continued while in Christ, this conviction has come. I'm going to marry her right now. Don't be so stubborn that you refuse to be sensitive to the Spirit. If you won't listen to the Creator of heaven and earth, who do you want to listen to? Make a decision and say, I want to follow God. And once you've made that decision, believe immediately that all shame is taken away, that all guilt is taken away, that there isn't a need any longer for you to always, you know, we cry for different reasons when we worship. Some people cry because they always see their sin before them. It's very true. You know, some people cry because they're having a real experience. They see the Lord. But don't be that guy. Believe that the cross has done it. Amen. Don't reduce God to a sin therapist, you know, a, th a sin manager of some sort. That the, our life with him just looks as, like us coming and saying, I've sinned again, you know. There's so much he wants to propel you into. Amen. But if you limit his operation then it can propel you there. So that's Gilgal. We need to walk in freedom. Once the shame and the guilt is removed, we can walk in what? Freedom. Okay. So this is so important because if you do not have freedom, your expression will always be limited. The second place that they went to is Bethel. So look at that. You gain freedom and then you go to Bethel. Sometimes some Christians are so content with just remaining at the feet of the cross. They never move away not realizing that the cross gives you freedom and launches you. But you need Bethel power. You need the presence of God. And Bethel is where God is. Now, if God is in your life, you are Bethel. If God is in this church, it's Bethel. If God is in your family, that's Bethel. If you and your friend meet up and you are, make it about God, that's Bethel. Wherever God is, that is Bethel. 
but you need that empowerment of Bethel to continue the freedom that you've just received, but also to continue in the will of God. You need the presence. We cannot do without the presence. We are, of most people, you know, we're not comparable to any religion because we are the only ones that can only become Christian once we've met the master. We are the only people who get citizenship into the king's kingdom by meeting the king. Do you know that you get a visa to the States without meeting Trump? It is not like that when it comes to us. We need the presence of the Lord. We can't continue it. We can't walk it without that. Okay. Now, it's so important that I stress this, that sometimes what we do is that we hear the presence of God and we just imagine ourselves living in all-night prayers. That Monday to Sunday, I'm just in all-night prayers. That's the presence of God. I never leave, you know. When you see me, I'm just, you know, uh, in an all-night prayer. And I'm just dreading the day that I leave my job so that I can be in all-night prayer even during the day. Okay? My friends, I have to tell you that that's a, another religion. It's not this one. Our belief and what we are doing is not limited to religious expression. It actually extends into your workplace. It extends into your family. This is why you'll be so inconsistent. If you're a Christian, you love Jesus, you raise your hands the highest, but you beat your wife. You will be so inconsistent because Bethel is in every area of your life. It continues. You'll be so inconsistent. You love Jesus, everything, but you are the champion corrupter. You are, you know, you are part of you know, those that are capturing the state. You'll be so inconsistent. Why? Because Bethel includes the workplace. When wisdom calls out in chapter 1, it doesn't say, I'm calling out in the synagogue. If you hear me in the synagogue, come out and I'm going to make you wise. It's calling out in the streets and in the marketplaces. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, when they hurled insults at him, it wasn't the fact that he spent so much time in the synagogue. It was about him spending time with the sinners. And you know when he spent time with the sinners, God didn't say, yo, I'm not going there. You can go, but we'll see you when you come back. God went with him. He was so equally filled with the presence of God while he was preaching in the synagogue as he was hanging out with Zacchaeus, hanging out with Matthew. And that is why today there's so many of us, simply because one man decided it's not about the synagogue, but it's actually about the marketplace and the streets. So we need to have a true experience of God. And it's only when we spend time in the presence of God and ask him and say, Lord, how do I take the presence out there? It's learned in the presence. There are no formulas. There's too many permutations and scenarios. It's really learned in the presence of God and a genuine heart saying, I want to make sure that the kingdom is seen wherever I am. And then the Lord will release what is necessary. That is so important. Don't just stay at the feet of the cross. Be launched into destiny and be empowered by the presence of God. Amen. Now, the next place that they went, of course, is Jericho. Now, Jericho is a tricky place, and we have to be careful of Jericho in one sense, in that when you look at what Jericho means, Jericho is actually the fragrant place. So when you go to Jericho, because it was so close to the Jordan, it it smelled nice. So when you go there, you just felt like, yo, I'm home now. Um, I I don't know if you've uh, been to some of these hotels, but what they are doing now in the high-end hotels is every hotel has what they call a signature smell. When you walk into the hotel, you will smell a smell you've never smelled anywhere before and you can never smell it anywhere. It's patented just for them. So when you are there, you just feel like, yo, I've, you know, I'm here, you know? I've, I've arrived, you know? I've actually arrived. But you need to be very careful. You need to be very, very careful about Jericho. Because although it's pleasant, its waters were bad. Its water actually caused miscarriages. Its water was sour. It needed to be sweetened. But if you looked at it and if you smelled it, you would have said, this is the place I should be. So we need to be very prayerful. We need to engage God to know where we should be. But of course, what I really want to talk about is that Bethel, or rather Jericho, was also the place of Israel's first victory. Now, if you actually look at first victories in general across the patriarchs, it always seems like the first one God shows up. You know, it's almost like an education program of this is how you war and this is how you succeed. And my friends, we need that. 
We need that. Because so many times we war as the world does. They gossiped about me, so I'm gossiping about them. You know? We war as the world does. And that's not how we ought to war. You know, sometimes we even say, they will know me. Yeah. They don't know me. I can see that they don't know me. That's why they treated me like this. But they will know me. Is that the goal of your life, that they know you? Or is that the goal that they know Jehovah? So we need to learn how to war from the king of kings himself. Paul himself had a smear campaign against his name. But he didn't say, oh, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to plan this and do that and do that. But he instead says, actually, this battle doesn't belong to me. He says, for we walk in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. So although we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to that standard. There is a mold of how you fight. There's a mold of how you succeed. There's a mold of how you go forward in the world. But that's not our way as Christians. There is a different way. Now, under normal circumstances, when Joshua came with the army um, of Israel to, the, to Jericho, you would have seen that as a big wall, right? What do you think? When you find a big wall, you don't try you know, and walk through the wall here. You find the door and say, okay, let's take down the door and then we'll enter. Let's take the gates. That's logic. That's how any other king would have thought. But as he was strategizing, as he was thinking, then this mighty man just appeared before him. A man he'd never seen before. And he said, oh, okay, you look like you can fight. Are you for us or against us? And so, no, 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 no. Joshua, don't miss the point. I'm not for you or against you. I'm in charge. I'm taking over. This is my fight. And then the Lord said to him, actually, you know, you've, you've looked at the door. You've looked at the window. There's, there's no way here. What you must just do is just walk around. For six days, just walk around. On the seventh day, walk seven times. And then actually shout. And when you shout, what happens? The door remained closed. The windows remained closed. But the wall fell. You see, he didn't even know that there was another way in. That walls can fall and create an entry point. Do you see, that's when you war according to God. You know, you had just assumed that by this age, I should have had so much money. And because I don't have it, I'm going to be so aggressive at work because I must get promoted. You know? You even look at your boss and you think, this guy is taking too long to die. Yeah? You must die or retire. Make a choice. Which one is it? Yeah. And you pray and say, Lord, even if he has to die, I don't care who's sitting there. But that's my chair. If we were to remove Jehovah from that prayer and just leave it like that, you would think, oh, what kind of witchcraft is this? But because we've included Jesus in the name of Jesus, we think it has changed its nature. That's not how we war. There's a different way of warring. You go there, you do not see the way for you to move forward. You've stayed in the same position for so long. You've been righteous. You're on the way, in the will of God, trusting God, believing God. You look at it and say, Lord, I know you know I'm ready. But for whatever reason, you haven't made the way yet. But I know that promotion doesn't come from the east. It doesn't come from the west. But it actually comes from Jehovah. You know, that's a different mindset. Do you think if you really believe that scripture, you'll be thinking, hey, that man is taking too long to die? You would not think like that. So we need to learn to war in accordance with God. Another good example just to give you on this one as a last point is that there was once a king in the days of old. Now he's the only king, he's of the same royal bloodline as the current Queen Elizabeth. But he's the only king that has ever been added to his name the Great. Alfred the Great. Now what happened with him is that he was actually at a where he was warring against the Vikings. The Vikings were very terrifying. You know, they were scary, scary guys who cared about nothing. Whereas everybody else that would fight against you would say, actually, the monasteries, the religious places we don't touch. The Vikings didn't care. They would destroy everything. Now, Alfred went to war against them. You know, they were invading. He lost. Tried again, he lost. Tried again, he lost. He then retreated. He said, Lord, I don't know what's going on but he dedicated himself to the study of the Psalms. He just read Psalms, he read Psalms, he read Psalms, he read Psalms. And after that, he discovered a strategy and he implemented and said, okay, we're gonna fight, they're coming, but let's meet at this particular location. Don't fight back, just hold them back. Because they were so aggressive, they got tired. And then only then he said, attack. 
and they won the war over the Vikings. But that wasn't even the victory. The victory was when the king of the Vikings now was the only one left and he's supposed to kill the king of the Vikings. He then set up a, pre a peace treaty between himself and the Vikings. And that's how that war was ended. And this guy, this king was so shocked. He said, why are you doing this? And he said, because I serve the Prince of Peace and I'm extending to you what? Peace. That's a different way of warring. It's a different way of fighting. Why? Because you are in the will. And they have now what is called Alfred's Code and most of the common law that you enjoy is derived from that, purely based on the Psalms. So he was the first person in history to institute the legal system as we have it today, but simply because he chose to think different. Now the last area is the Jordan. The Jordan is a very dangerous area because the Jordan is a place of fruitfulness. You know, there's so much water. When you look around the Jordan, it's green, it smells nice. You just want to stay there. And it's easy as well to get to the Jordan and think you've arrived. When Lot was with Abraham and they were about to split, Lot saw next to the Jordan. And he said, that's where I'm going. Not knowing that the Lord was already plotting against Sodom and Gomorrah. But it was green. At the same time, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh, what? I'm saying it wrong, but you will appreciate uh, what I've said. But, you know, half of that tribe, what did they do? They got close and they saw, ah, it's green. It looks like we can raise our animals here. And they decided not to cross over to the promised land. Do you think God would not have thought, some of these guys look after cattle. They're going to need green places. But they didn't even care to think about that. They just saw the greenery. And what's dangerous is having a mindset while journeying on the will of God to think you've arrived. It's to start having pride. Saul was a good king until he no longer saw himself as a small person. Started to see himself like, I've, I've won some stuff. You know, Samuel does this, I can do this. So it is so important that we remain small in our own eyes. And that is what the Lord will use to keep protecting us, to keep blessing us, to keep increasing us. Because the Jordan is also symbolic of fruitfulness. So you go from freedom in Gilgal, you go and get some presence in Bethel. You go to Jericho and you get victory. But when you get to Jordan, fruitfulness. You see, fruitfulness is not an optional extra of the Christian faith. It's part and parcel. To the extent that Jesus doesn't say, disciple the unfruitful. If any branch in me is unfruitful, set up a discipleship program. He doesn't say that. He actually says, cut off those branches. Because fruitfulness is so important. We have to be fruitful in every good work. There shouldn't be an area in our lives where barrenness is just running rampant. We have to be fruitful. And be careful of how you interpret the fruitfulness in the different spheres of your life. When God makes you fruitful in finances, for example, don't assume that the financial fruitfulness is just God's mechanism of making you more comfortable in life. Always go and ask the Lord and say, I have an extra million rand that's coming in this year. What do you want to do with it? And who knows, the Lord will say, actually, just give it all to the kingdom. But do you know that you'll never run out of money? The day you click send, you just, oh, 10 has come in. Where did this come from? So it is so important that in our times of fruitfulness, we consider in the different areas to say, is this just for our comfort? Or is it because the Lord is trying to do something else? And those are the four areas, saints, that we need to go through. We cannot walk out the will of God still being trapped by shame, still being trapped by guilt, still thinking that we are inferior, still thinking that actually I do not deserve this. You know what? He can do this because he doesn't know what I've done. We need to realize that the cross of Jesus Christ speaks louder than our experiences. But we need to realize that we cannot stay at the feet of the cross. We need to be released and filled with the presence of God. And that is why we need a Bethel experience. Not to keep it as a religious experience, but to take it into every sphere that we find ourselves in. It is so important, saints. And we need victory.
we need victory so importantly. We cannot be stuck in the cycle of talking to God about the same sin for 10 years. That just doesn't make sense. We have to break the cycle and say, Lord, I do not see how it will happen. I've been to Victory Weekend, I've tried this, I've tried that, but I'm still here. And bring it to God. Because sometimes it's just our enjoyment of the sin that keeps us there. But we need to have victory over those things. And lastly, we need to be fruitful. Fruitfulness is not an optional thing for the Christian. It is part and parcel of who we are. And let's quickly read verse 9 in closing. We've read it now. In verse 9, it says, And it was so when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away. This is the beauty when we align with the will of God. There are blank check moments because he can trust you. He knows that what you're going to do with the blank check is not to ask for, you know, just another car. But he knows that you are kingdomly minded. You're going to be thinking about the double portion. And of course, he rent his clothes, isn't it? And then he put on the mantle. We can't continue in the will of God without tearing some things out of our life. There are some things that need to be cut out. There are some things that need to be destroyed so that we might rightly walk in the will of God. We need to put on this new mantle, right? Put off the old man and put off what? The new man, put on the new man. So it is so important. I want to just, to just stand up as we close. Now, recently, as I was mentioning in the you know, earlier service, I've had the fortunate or unfortunate experience of really being involved in the funerals of three young people, all of them averaging age 24. And sometimes the mistake we make as Christians is we assume that we have a lot of time. And that is why it is not a priority for us to repent and follow Jesus today, because I have time. Somehow in our thinking, we budget for repentance time. But friends, we actually don't know how much time that we have. All these funerals were people that were Christians like you and me. Some of them prayed a lot more. And the last one really touched my heart. It was this Wednesday. I was emceeing. It really touched my heart because this guy ticked all the boxes of what we are chasing. When it comes to, I want to be smart. He had nine A's in matric. He had graduated summa cum laude from UCT. When it comes to, I want the best job. He worked for Goldman Sachs as an investment banker in London. When it comes to, I want to travel. He had been to more countries than my age. He had done it all. When it comes to finances, to salary, he was way younger than me, but he already earned way more than I do. He ticked all the boxes, and yet he committed suicide. That's to tell you that life is not about those things. Life is about the kingdom of God. This is our only priority in life. It is the kingdom of God and our family, our jobs, our businesses, all of those are expressions of the kingdom of God. This is why even in the marriage, we have to see Christ and the church. Isn't that strange? Why? Because it's not just about romance. It's about the kingdom of God. This is why even in our workplaces, kingdom, uh, the, 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 the wisdom calls out there and says, I want to make disciples. Because we don't work for TBN. We actually work for ordinary places that are dark. And we are there as the light. So, saints, I want us to pray. And ask God in accordance with what you've received from this message. And just say, Lord, I don't want to continue in shame if that's your thing. I don't want to continue losing the battle. I want victory. I want Jericho moment. And we need those things to walk out the will of God. Amen. Let's just pray. Yeah, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we just pray, Lord, um, and ask you and say, we don't want to continue feeling inferior whenever we come before you. We don't want to continue feeling less than whenever we come before you.
you. But Lord, we want, oh God, in the name of Jesus, to walk out everything that you have for us in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. We want, oh Father, to serve you to the best of our ability as you have graced us, oh God. We want to walk out, oh God, our life in a manner that pleases you, that exalts you, that honors you, oh God. We pray in the name of Jesus and say, Lord, even the chains that we still feel are holding us back, oh God, the sins we can't shake off, oh God, the weights we can't shake off, we pray in the name of Jesus, my God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, that some of those things will begin to be broken in the name of Jesus, that you would solidify victory in our life, oh God, that we would walk in victory and not war as the world does in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. We pray, Father, and say, Lord, we don't want to be a barren people, oh Father, but we want to be a fruitful people in every sphere, in every area, oh God. Let no area of our lives be mentioned, oh Father, as barren, oh God, but let every area in the mighty name of Jesus be mentioned as in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. You are so worthy. You are so good, O oh God. There is none that compares to you, O oh Father. We pray, O oh God, mm, and say we believe you, O oh God. We believe you, O oh God. We believe you that we will walk in your presence in every area that we find ourselves in. You are so worthy. You are so trustworthy. In the mighty name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. You know, the thing with this thing is that you don't want to remain in the wrong place. You don't want to have stayed in Jericho thinking that it was pleasant only to realize once you are there that this place actually has bitter waters. You don't want to actually have stayed in Bethel only to realize that Bethel is not friendly to people like you. Because when Elisha went back to Bethel, they made fun of him for being old. You don't want to remain in the wrong place. So as we close, I just want to give an opportunity to those who are saying, you know what, I don't want to remain in the same place, specifically when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus over my life. To those who say, I want to surrender my life, I want to put it all down, I don't want to continue as I've done before. This is the Gilgal experience. I want all shame gone. God is the shame remover. There is no need to continue feeling inferior. We just need to connect with God. So if you are here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you know, I just want to pray with you and actually just say, let's have a Gilgal experience right here. And that you walk out of here celebrating with your head lifted high. You don't have to take your head down any longer, but lift your head high. Why? Because there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. He's removed every possible barrier from you having a relationship with him. So if you are here and you want to set things right with Jesus and you want to give your life to Christ, would you mind just raising your hand and I'll pray with you before closing. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.